Part two, section four of Swan's Way by Marcel Proust. Translated by C. K. Scott Moncrief, eighteen eighty nine to nineteen thirty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part two, Combray, section four eulalie was a limping energetic deaf spinster who had retired after the death of madame de la bretonnerie with whom she had been in service from her childhood and had then taken a room beside the church from which she would incessantly emerge either to attend some service or when there was no service to say a prayer by herself or to give theodore a hand the rest of her time she spent in visiting sick persons like my aunt leonie to whom she would relate everything that had occurred at mass or vespers she was not above adding occasional pocket-money to the little income which was found for her by the family of her old employers by going from time to time to look after the cure's linen or that of some other person of note in the clerical world of combray above a mantle of black cloth she wore a little white coif that seemed almost to attach her to some order and an infirmity of the skin had stained part of her cheeks and her crooked nose the bright red colour of balsam her visits were the one great distraction in the life of my aunt leonie who now saw hardly any one else except the reverend cure my aunt had by degrees erased every other visitor's name from her list because they all committed the fatal error in her eyes of falling into one or other of the two categories of people she most detested one group the worst of the two and the one of which she rid herself first consisted of those who advised her not to take so much care of herself and preached even if only negatively and with no outward signs beyond an occasional disapproving silence or doubting smile the subversive doctrine that a sharp walk in the sun and a good red beefsteak would do her more good her who had had two dreadful sips of vichy water on her stomach for fourteen hours than all her medicine bottles and her bed the other category was composed of people who appeared to believe that she was more seriously ill than she thought in fact that she was as seriously ill as she said and so none of those whom she had allowed upstairs to her room after considerable hesitation and at francoise's urgent request and who in the course of their visit had shown how unworthy they were of the honour which had been done them by venturing a timid don't you think that if you were just to stir out a little on really fine days or who on the other hand when she said to them i am very very low very low nearing the end dear friends had replied ah yes when one has no strength left still you may last a while yet each party alike might be certain that her doors would never open to them again and if francoise was amused by the look of consternation on my aunt's face whenever she saw from her bed any of these people in the rue du saint esprit who looked as if they were coming to see her or heard her own doorbell ring she would laugh far more heartily as at a clever trick at my aunt's devices which never failed for having them sent away and at their look of discomfiture when they had to turn back without having seen her and would be filled with secret admiration for her mistress whom she felt to be superior to all these other people inasmuch as she could and did contrive not to see them in short my aunt stipulated at one and the same time that whoever came to see her must approve of her way of life 
commiserate with her in her sufferings and assure her of an ultimate recovery in all this eulalie excelled my aunt might say to her twenty times in a minute the end is come at last my poor eulalie twenty times eulalie would retort with knowing your illness as you do madame octave you will live to be a hundred as madame sazarin said to me only yesterday for one of eulalie's most rooted beliefs and one that the formidable list of corrections which her experience must have compiled was powerless to eradicate was that madame sazerat's name was really madame sazerin i do not ask to live to a hundred my aunt would say for she preferred to have no definite limit fixed to the number of her days and since besides this eulalie knew as no one else knew how to distract my aunt without tiring her her visits which took place regularly every sunday unless something unforeseen occurred to prevent them were for my aunt a pleasure the prospect of which kept her on those days in a state of expectation appetizing enough to begin with but at once changing to the agony of a hunger too long unsatisfied if eulalie were a minute late in coming for if unduly prolonged the rapture of waiting for eulalie became a torture and my aunt would never cease from looking at the time and yawning and complaining of each of her symptoms in turn eulalie's ring if it sounded from the front door at the very end of the day when she was no longer expecting it would almost make her ill for the fact was that on sunday she thought of nothing else than this visit and the moment that our luncheon was ended Françoise would become impatient for us to leave the dining-room so that she might go upstairs to occupy my aunt but and this more than ever from the day on which fine weather definitely set in at combray the proud hour of noon descending from the steeple of st hilaire which it blazoned for a moment with the twelve points of its sonorous crown would long have echoed about our table beside the holy bread which too had come in after church in its familiar way and we would still be found seated in front of our arabian night plates weighed down by the heat of the day and even more by our heavy meal for upon the permanent foundation of eggs cutlets potatoes preserves and biscuits whose appearance on the table she no longer announced to us Françoise would add as the labour of fields and orchards the harvest of the tides the luck of the markets the kindness of neighbours and her own genius might provide and so effectively that our bill of fare like the quatrefoils that were carved on the porches of cathedrals in the thirteenth century reflected to some extent the march of the seasons and the incidents of human life a brill because the fishwoman had guaranteed its freshness a turkey because she had seen a beauty in the market at roussainville le pin cardoons with marrow because she had never done them for us in that way before a roast leg of mutton because the fresh air made one hungry and there would be plenty of time for it to settle down in the seven hours before dinner spinach by way of a change apricots because they were still hard to get gooseberries because in another fortnight there would be none left raspberries which monsieur swann had brought specially cherries the first to come from the cherry tree which had yielded none for the last two years a cream cheese of which in those days i was extremely fond an almond cake because she had ordered one the evening before a fancy loaf because it was our turn to offer the holy bread and when all these had been eaten a work composed expressly for ourselves but dedicated more particularly to my father who had a fondness for such things a cream of chocolate 
inspired in the mind created by the hand of Francoise, would be laid before us light and fleeting as an occasional piece of music into which she had poured the whole of her talent any one who refused to partake of it saying no thank you i have finished i am not hungry would at once have been lowered to the level of the philistines who when an artist makes them a present of one of his works examines its weight and material whereas what is of value is the creator's intention and his signature to have left even the tiniest morsel in the dish would have shown as much discourtesy as to rise and leave a concert hall while the piece was still being played and under the composer's very eyes at length my mother would say to me now don't stay here all day you can go up to your room if you are too hot outside but get a little fresh air first don't start reading immediately after your food and i would go and sit down beside the pump in its trough ornamented here and there like a gothic font with a salamander which modelled upon a background of crumbling stone the quick relief of its slender allegorical body on the bench without a back in the shade of a lilac tree in that little corner of the garden which communicated by a service door with the rue du saint esprit and from whose neglected soil rose in two stages an outcrop from the house itself and apparently a separate building my aunt's back kitchen one could see its red tiled floor gleaming like porphyry it seemed not so much the cave of Francoise as a little temple of venus it would be overflowing with the offerings of the milkman the fruiterer the greengrocer come sometimes from distant villages to dedicate here the first fruits of their fields and its roof was always surmounted by the cooing of a dove in earlier days i would not have lingered in the sacred grove which surrounded this temple for before going upstairs to read i would steal into the little sitting-room which my uncle adolphe the brother of my grandfather and an old soldier who had retired from the service as a major used to occupy on the ground floor a room which even when its open windows let in the heat if not actually the rays of the sun which seldom penetrated so far would never fail to emit that vague and yet fresh odour suggesting at once an open air and an old-fashioned kind of existence which sets and keeps the nostrils dreaming when one goes into a disused gun-room but for some years now i had not gone into my uncle adolphe's room since he no longer came to combray on account of a quarrel which had arisen between him and my family by my fault and in the following circumstances once or twice every month in paris i used to be sent to pay him a visit as he was finishing his luncheon wearing a plain alpaca coat and waited upon by his servant in a working jacket of striped linen purple and white he would complain that i had not been to see him for a long time that he was being neglected he would offer me a marchpane or a tangerine and we would cross a room in which no one ever sat whose fire was never lighted whose walls were picked out with gilded mouldings its ceiling painted blue in imitation of the sky and its furniture upholstered in satin as at my grandparents only yellow then we would enter what he called his study a room whose walls were hung with prints which showed against a dark background a plump and rosy goddess driving a car or standing upon a globe or wearing a star on her brow pictures which were popular under the second empire because there was thought to be something about them that suggested pompeii which were then generally despised and which now people are beginning to collect again for one single and consistent reason despite any others which they may advance namely that they suggest the second empire 
and there i would stay with my uncle until this man came with a message from the coachman to ask him at what time he would like the carriage my uncle would then be lost in meditation while his astonished servant stood there not daring to disturb him by the least movement wondering and waiting for his answer which never varied for in the end after a supreme crisis of hesitation my uncle would utter infallibly the words a quarter past two which the servant would echo with amazement but without disputing them a quarter past two very good sir i will go and tell him at this date i was a lover of the theatre a platonic lover of necessity since my parents had not yet allowed me to enter one and so incorrect was the picture i drew for myself of the pleasures to be enjoyed there that i almost believed that each of the spectators looked as into a stereoscope upon a stage and scenery which existed for himself alone though closely resembling the thousand other spectacles presented to the rest of the audience individually every morning i would hasten to the morris column to see what new plays it announced nothing could be more disinterested or happier than the dreams with which these announcements filled my mind dreams which took their form from the inevitable associations of the words forming the title of the play and also from the colour of the bills still damp and wrinkled with paste on which those words stood out nothing unless it were such strange titles as the testament de césar giraudot or Ediperois, inscribed not on the green bills of the opera comique but on the wine-coloured bills of the comedie francaise nothing seemed to me to differ more profoundly from the sparkling white plume of the diamant de la couronne than the sleek mysterious satin of the domino noir and since my parents had told me that for my first visit to the theatre i should have to choose between these two pieces i would study exhaustively and in turn the title of one and the title of the other for those were all that i knew of either attempting to snatch from each a foretaste of the pleasure which it offered me and to compare this pleasure with that latent in the other title until in the end i had shown myself such vivid such compelling pictures of on the one hand a play of dazzling arrogance and on the other a gentle velvety play that i was as little capable of deciding which play i should prefer to see as if at the dinner-table they had obliged me to choose between rice à l'imperatrice and the famous cream of chocolate all my conversations with my playfellows bore upon actors whose art although as yet i had no experience of it was the first of all its numberless forms in which art itself allowed me to anticipate its enjoyment between one actor's tricks of intonation and inflection and another's the most trifling differences would strike me as being of an incalculable importance and from what i had been told of them i would arrange them in the order of their talent in lists which i used to murmur to myself all day long lists which in the end became petrified in my brain and were a source of annoyance to it being irremovable and later in my school days whenever i ventured in class when the master's head was turned to communicate with some new friend i would always begin by asking him whether he had begun yet to go to theatres and if he agreed that our greatest actor was undoubtedly go our second delaunay and so on and if in his judgment fevre came below Thiron or delaunay below Quelquelin, the sudden volatility which the name of coquelin forsaking its stony rigidity would engender in my mind in which it moved upwards to the second place the rich vitality with which the name of delaunay would suddenly be furnished 
to enable it to slip down to fourth would stimulate and fertilize my brain with a sense of bradding and blossoming life but if the thought of actors weighed so upon me if the sight of maubon coming out one afternoon from the théâtre francais had plunged me in the throes and sufferings of hopeless love how much more did the name of a star blazing outside the doors of a theatre how much more seen through the window of a brougham which passed me in the street the hair over her forehead abloom with roses did the face of a woman who i would think was perhaps an actress leave with me a lasting disturbance a futile and painful effort to form a picture of her private life i classified in order of talent the most distinguished sarah bernhardt berma barthe madeleine brohan jean Samarie, but i was interested in them all now my uncle knew many of them personally and also ladies of another class not clearly distinguished from actresses in my mind he used to entertain them at his house and if we went to see him on certain days only that was because on the other days ladies might come whom his family could not very well have met so we at least thought as for my uncle his fatal readiness to pay pretty widows who had perhaps never been married and countesses whose high-sounding titles were probably no more than noms de guerre the compliment of presenting them to my grandmother or even of presenting to them some of our family jewels had already embroiled him more than once with my grandfather often if the name of some actress were mentioned in conversation i would hear my father say with a smile to my mother one of your uncle's friends and i would think of the weary novitiate through which perhaps for years on end a grown man even a man of real importance might have to pass waiting on the doorstep of some such lady while she refused to answer his letters and made her hall porter drive him away and imagine that my uncle was able to dispense a little jackanapes like myself from all these sufferings by introducing me in his own home to the actress unapproachable by all the world but for him an intimate friend End of part two, section four, recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine.